You see, as we even think about ministering to our community, the challenge that we should each undertake is this, to be reaching people every day of our lives. I mean, you come in contact with many people who do not have a relationship with the Lord or at least a growing relationship with the Lord, and you have an opportunity to influence them. And today, we're going to go, go back again. We're going to look at Nehemiah again. And here's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn about living a life of influence. And when I say influence, I mean this, a positive, godly influence. When we look at the book of Nehemiah, since the events surround what Nehemiah did in rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, it makes sense that Nehemiah's life is front and center. We've already seen many principles of leadership from Nehemiah's life, and we're going to learn more today. But since many of you don't look at yourself and say, well, I'm a leader, you don't consider yourself a leader, we're not going to call it leader today. Instead, we're going to talk about influence. And really, just like we all in some ways are leaders, every one of us here this morning does live a life of influence. Here's the real question for us. What kind of influence are you living? Is it a positive or a negative influence? All right. That's the question. And today, as I talk about influence, what I'm going to mean by it again is that positive influence, right? When you're taking people in the right direction. Now, last week, we saw in the first part of Nehemiah 5, there were Jews, namely the nobles and the officials, who were taking advantage of their fellow Jews. Those in position of authority were using their position to get rich off of the adversity of others. However, we briefly noted that Nehemiah was different. He did not participate in these harmful actions, but instead sought to help the lives of his fellow Jews be rebuilt. As we read verse 14 of Nehemiah 5, we're going to learn an interesting fact about Nehemiah. So let's read it together. You can look on the screen. It says, moreover... From the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is that Nehemiah was appointed at some point in time to be the governor of Judah and serve for 12 years. Now, we don't know the details of this, but what we do know is this is an appointment that King Artaxerxes would have made himself. So it is very clear that Nehemiah had proven himself faithful to the point that Artaxerxes trusted him to be the governor of Judah. But I want us to consider this. Nehemiah clearly had influence among the people as the governor, but his influence didn't come because of his position. His influence came from his moral authority. All right. I want you to catch that. He didn't have influence because he was just in a position of governor. He ultimately had influence because of his moral authority. And what I mean by that is Nehemiah had led a life that demonstrated that he was willing to do what was right no matter what. He did right even if others did wrong. He did right even if what was right seemed to put him in a place of jeopardy. He did right regardless of the circumstances around him. The moral authority is ultimately what gave him his influence. And as we look at the text today, we will see how this plays out in his life. And as we look at this text a little further, let's consider how one lives a life of influence. And the first thing I'm going to say comes from verse 14 that I've already read, and it is simply this, be willing to accept a place of influence. Now, it might seem like a no-brainer, but we have to consider that as Nehemiah was appointed to be the governor... He had to accept the responsibility of the position and the influence that came with it. In fact, let me ask this question. Is it good when people who are committed to God and following his will are placed in positions of influence or authority? Is that a good thing? 
Yes, it is. I mean, we should clearly say yes. Let's even consider the words of Proverbs 29. It says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. In fact, I really like the way the New Living Translation puts it, so let me read it from that. It says, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked are in power, they groan. You see, as we will see in a few moments, there can be some hazards with being in a place of authority or influence. However, that should not keep godly people from accepting places of influence. Even when I say this, I'm not necessarily even speaking about high-profile positions. For Nehemiah, I believe this. I believe he had accepted a place of influence long before he was governor. Now, I'm not sure that we would call being a cupbearer to the king a place of authority or even influence if we were naming positions of power But the fact that Nehemiah had accepted that position gave him influence with the king. There was no public authority with that position. But we have to assume that since he was constantly in the presence of the king, he had some influence on the king. I mean, if the king trusted him to protect his life, there had to be a measure of trust, did there not? Absolutely. The conversations we have recorded in Nehemiah and the king surround Nehemiah's request to go and rebuild the wall, but we should not think that that conversation was the only conversation they ever had. I mean, it's crazy to think that the first major conversation that Nehemiah and the king would have would be Nehemiah asking to go and rebuild the wall, and the king would say yes to that, right? I know in part this is speculation by me, but here's my guess, that Nehemiah and the king had various conversations in the past of many things. And even though Nehemiah had no real authority as the cupbearer, he may very well have been able to influence the king by being faithful to his position and speaking into the king's life when given the opportunity. And because of this reality, accepting the position of cupbearer was Nehemiah accepting a place of influence. In fact, here's the point I ultimately want to make. If you are in a place to influence others, take advantage of the opportunity, okay? See, I'm glad that we have people in our church who serve in administrative roles with our school systems. If you're in one of those roles, you should be a godly influence in those positions. You may not be able to preach the gospel, but you can still help influence godly decisions. I'm glad we have teachers who have a place of influence on our students. Use that influence to guide students in a godly way, even to the point of understanding when and how you can share your faith. I'm glad we have students in positions of influence. That could be the leader of a club, the captain of a sports team, the mentor of other students, a person that others look up to, a friend who is trusted. If you find yourself in a place of influence, accept that and be a godly influence. I'm glad we have people who work in the justice system. I'm glad we have those who are first responders, those in the medical field, those who are business owners, those who are part of government agencies, those who are coaches. The list goes on and it's extensive. But what I want you to do is consider the place of influence where you find yourself, where you're in. And I want you to accept that influence and be a godly influence that God desires. All right, thank you, Dinah. I can count on Dinah to say amen, all right? Every one of you should have said amen. I'm going I'm to accept that role. I'm going to take it where I'm at. I'm going to accept that position of influence. That has to be step number one. However, there comes a warning for us when we find ourselves in that place of influence, which is the second thing we need to do to live a life of influence. It's this. It's to refuse the lure of privilege. Here's what often comes with a place of authority or influence. It's the opportunity to misuse the position for your own gain. And I'm going to say this. This happens at all levels. The opportunity you have to misuse the position varies based upon the position, but there will always be the possibility to misuse the influence so it becomes important for you to refuse the lure. Sometimes the lure is for material gain. 
Sometimes the lure is simply to get recognition or praise. The, the lure of privilege can have many different levels. But look at what Nehemiah said at the end of verse 14, or end of verse 15. He said, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them from their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. You see, evidently with the position of governor came an allowance for food. Now, not sure how much the allowance was, but you get the feeling from what Nehemiah states that the allowance was a fairly large, for it was not only to cover Nehemiah, but it was to cover those who worked with him. What Nehemiah understood was this, that the allowance, like the one he was entitled to, they don't come for free. They have to come from somewhere. And he knew that they came from the people. And for him to have an extravagant food allowance, the people would have to somehow suffer in order for him to enjoy the pleasure. And so what was Nehemiah's response? I'm not going to take my allowance and do that to the people. In fact, on top of that, Nehemiah looked at the practices of those who held the positions before him and noted that they had taken advantage of their position and the people in other ways. First, they laid heavy burdens on them, which I assume this means they had made the people work hard for their gain. And second, they took money from them, 40 shekels of silver daily. Whether that was in a form of an income tax or what, I don't know, but they clearly took advantage of the people for their gain. To make things worse, the governors before even let their servants take advantage of their position and make things hard on the people. Nehemiah's simple response to that was this, I did not. I did not give into the lure of privilege for my gain. Instead, I thought about the people. His reason? Because he feared God. Nehemiah knew that God's heart on the matter was different because, as we've already seen, God had made laws for the Jews to help their fellow Jews when they were down and out and to not take advantage of them. We can find so many examples, in fact, of people who are falling for the lure of privilege. One that I think about is King Solomon we have in the scriptures. Here, King Solomon was a, a man that God had established as the king of Israel. God had even given him unprecedented a gift of wisdom. Yet what happened to Solomon? He fell into the lure of privilege. You can read about the extravagant lifestyle that he lived. You can read about the extreme number of wives that he took. That was a mistake, amen, right? And what is clear is that Solomon, even though wise, fell into the lure of privilege and he suffered for it. In fact, it took him to the place in life where he eventually looked at everything and he said this, it all is vanity. It is all meaningless. Let's remember the words that Jesus taught in Matthew 20 when we read this. But Jesus called them to him and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus truly calls us to a different way of living. When you receive a position of power or influence, you shouldn't lord it over the people, but instead seek to serve. What I know for sure is this. The people in this world who ultimately have the greatest influence are those who avoid the lure of privilege and serve others instead. Now, with that said, you need to understand that a life of influence will also this, consistently live a life of integrity. I believe if I expand on this, you'll agree with what I'm going to say but true influence happens over time. Do you agree? All right. True influence doesn't happen in one moment. 
I, I will say this, though. Influence can be lost in a moment. Right, right? Therefore, a life that has lasting influence is a life that is lived not only, or not only with integrity, but one that lives out that integrity consistently over time. In fact, listen to what Nehemiah says. I also preserved in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Here, here's what I want you to see. Nehemiah didn't see the way he lived as a temporary or momentary thing. He, he didn't see something he, he, what he, what he did see was something he needed to preserve in and to lead others to follow. Ne- Nehemiah made it clear he preserved in the work. He didn't stop once he received a promotion. He didn't stop when he thought enough others were working. He instead recognized that he needed to be consistent and persevere on building the wall. He also noted that he had acquired no land. This very well could have been Nehemiah saying as others were selling their lands to make ends meet at the time most likely selling at bargain prices because they had no other choice but to do that or starve. He didn't buy the land and take advantage of his fellow Jews. He wasn't going to compromise what he thought was right and fair just because he had an opportunity to advance himself and become wealthy at the expense of others. He consistently avoided the lure of self-advancement and consistently, constantly lived a life of integrity. His walk matched his talk. Now, in life, I've had people who've influenced me. How about you? You had those people? The ones who have had the greatest influence are those who I can look at and say they persevered in doing it right. I know not too long ago, we, we lost a great man in our midst, Pete Nolan. When I look back at his life, what I see is a model of consistency. He stayed with the church in good times and bad times. He never wavered in his faith or commitment. He lived out what he believed and maintained his integrity all his days, showing generosity to the church on various occasions, even being generous not too long before he passed. He had a positive influence because the way he lived his life, he lived it to the end. I have had others in my life that had influence on me, and they had influence just for a period of time. In part, they lost that influence because of their loss of integrity. Now, I'm not going to mention a name, but there was a preacher who I used to love to listen to. He was a fantastic preacher of God's word, but a few years ago, he was accused of several different things and dismissed from his church. Not being close to the situation, I really don't know what happened, and he maintains, in part, is innocent on some matters and blames others, for those who are in authority in the church, for creating a false story. However, as I've seen the way he has handled the situation on social media where he has publicly blasted those that opposed him, it doesn't matter to me where the original allocations were true or not, as his comments publicly seem very out of place and inappropriate for one seeking to honor God. He lost his influence in my life by failing to be consistent in how he preached and how he lived. Because he didn't persevere in living with integrity, he lost his influence on me. You see, a true life of influence is a life that consistently lives into integrity. And I say that I want to recognize that this is not easy to do. Okay, it's not. I believe in part that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, where he said, as for you, brothers, look at this, do not grow weary in doing good. You see, Paul recognized with these words that it can be hard to always do good. When people come against you, you want to defend yourself and say things that are unkind. When you do good and suffer for it, there are times you want to just say, it's not worth it, and I give up. I'm going to go ahead and just live like the rest of the world lives. No doubt it can be hard to live a consistent life of integrity, but to maintain your influence, it is a must. 
when you can live a consistent life of integrity. It not only allows you to influence others positively, but can also cause others to live influential lives. As seen in Nehemiah saying in verse 16, and all my servants gathered there for the work. As Nehemiah set the standard, it even caused his servants to follow suit. Because no doubt when you live an influential life, it will cause others to follow. Nehemiah truly lived a consistent life of integrity. And it was seen in another way that is part of how we live a life of fluence, which is this. You practice generosity. Nehemiah not only refused the allotment of the governors who were allowed to take, not only did Nehemiah keep working on the wall, leading others to do the same, but also Nehemiah demonstrated that a life of influence is a life that is generous. Look at what we read next in verse 17. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was an ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Now, did you catch what he said? I hope you caught it. There were 150 plus people who came to sit at his table to be fed each day. Did you catch it? Every day, an ox and six choice sheep and birds were prepared in order to feed those who came for Nehemiah to care for them. The amount mentioned here is a lot, no matter who you are. And don't overlook the fact that Nehemiah said this, all of this was done at my expense. He wasn't asking someone else to help with the expense. He wasn't digging into the government reserves to make this happen. He was doing this out of his own pocket. To make it clear, he reiterated that he didn't take the governor's allowance because it would have been too difficult on the people. Now, I'm not sure how Nehemiah had such resources, but what is clear is he was willing to be generous with what he had to care for others. And I believe we can all agree this, that generosity is a blessing. And those who are truly generous without expectations in return are people who gain influence in the life of others. Can we agree? All right. In fact, it has been said of this, that leaders are people who quietly sacrifice so that others might have more. You see, that is what Nehemiah had demonstrated. I know that he mentioned this morning in these verses what he had done, but let's keep in mind that he's only sharing this because he's confronting others who have been doing wrong and taking advantage of the people. He only shared that what he had done when it became necessary. In reality, he had been doing this all very quietly without fanfare until forced to share his experience. Now, as we look at the way Nehemiah lived, as he accepted a place of influence, but then refused the lure of privilege while living a consistent life of integrity and generosity, we might want to ask this, how was he able to live this way? He was able to live this life of exceptional influence because one more thing you should do in order to live a life of influence is this. You look to God for your reward. See, see, if I'm looking to others to reward me, how am I going to live? How am I going to live if I'm looking for others to reward me? How? How they want me to live, right? All right. How, I, how do I get praise from people? If I'm looking for the praise of others, then I'm going to live how I'm going to get praise for them. If a reward to me is gaining material things, how am I going to live? In the ways that make me the most money and things, right? All right. It makes sense to us. However, there's truly only one way to live that is right. And Nehemiah demonstrated it and that it is a life that looks to God for your reward. Look, look at the simple prayer that Nehemiah lifted up in verse 19. 
He said, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Now, why would Nehemiah pray this? Because he understood that there is no way that he could be paid back on earth for what he'd done. He knew that no way on earth could could he really ever be rewarded in a way that is satisfying. But what he knew is that God is the one who takes care of those who live for him. I mean, Hebrews even says in a way that living and believing that God rewards his people is what it means to have faith. Are you familiar with this verse from Hebrews eleven six? He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he does what? He rewards those who seek him. You see, part of faith is understanding that God is a God who rewards. So as Nehemiah lived life that way, he did it. He was expressing his faith in God to reward him. Not only that, Nehemiah was also demonstrating that he wasn't looking for the praise of people. It was solely God he was turning to for praise and reward. You know, the apostle Paul expressed the same sentiment in 1 Corinthians 4 when he wrote these words. He said, so look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who've been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now, a person who's put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who examined me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. That last line is key, right? God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Paul made it clear that he didn't care how others judged him. Then he said he didn't even trust his judgment on himself, but he was gonna leave that judgment up to God and know that God in the end will give to each whatever praise is due. Man, what a great perspective. You see, what Nehemiah and Paul and others demonstrate for us is if you truly want to live a life of influence, you live life in a way that you believe will be praiseworthy of God and then rest in that. You don't worry about what others say about you. You just keep living in a way that you believe makes God's happy. And if you take this kind of avid attitude, I have no doubt you will live both a different life than most, but also a life of influence. Now, let's take a moment and consider a couple examples. I mean, Nehemiah lived clearly a life of influence, but let's ask ourselves this question. Have there been others that have lived lives of influence? You think? I mean, absolutely. A name that is known to most everyone here is the name Mother Teresa. In 1948, she cast her vision of ministry to, to the poor, to the Vatican, and then two years later, the missionaries of charity officially began the mission of seeking out and caring for the poor, abandoned, sick, and dying. In 1952, she and the charity received permission from the officials in Calcutta to use a section of an abandoned temple for a home for the dying. There, the poor of Calcutta, who would often die alone in the streets, were cared for in their final hours. It wasn't without controversy, though, as Hindu priests were uncomfortable with a group of Catholic missionaries operating so close to their temple. The priest even led delegations demanding that the missionary organization leave immediately. However, at one point in time, Mother Teresa came to her attention that one of the Hindu priests was, had been diagnosed with the advanced stages of tuberculosis, and because of his illness was untreatable, he was denied a bed in the city hospital. Mother Teresa, in response, brought the dying priest to the mission where she personally cared for him until he died, 
And then after his death, the missionaries of charity carried the priest's body back to the temple for the Hindu rites. This act captured the hearts of the people of Calcutta and gained her tremendous influence with the people as she didn't let the opposition against her and even religious differences keep her from caring for a dying man. That was her life story, faithfully and selflessly serving people. She was so faithful in her service that in 1979, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. With that honor she received, she received a large monetary award. And guess what she did with the money? Instead of spending it on herself, she gave it and had it directed to the missions of charity to help further the work of ministering to the poor and needy. Mother Teresa's service was so consistent and selfless that it gained her worldwide influence. It even led to her being invited to speak to the National Prayer Breakfast in 1994, where she spoke in front of most of the officials in Washington, D.C., including the president at the time, Bill Clinton, and his wife, Hillary, Vice President Gore, Supreme Court justices, senators, and many more. The makeup of the crowd was diverse with many political persuasions present. She entered to everyone's applause, but as she spoke, at least some of the applause began to quiet or become absent altogether, especially when she said these words in front of that delegation. She said, but I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. Because Jesus said, if you receive a little child, you receive me. So every abortion is the denial of receiving Jesus, the neglect of receiving Jesus. That statement immediately brought silence from some and then applause from others. But Mother Teresa was undeterred and continued her speech. No doubt some listened in anger, some in support, but she really didn't care as she was staying true to what she felt the Lord desired. She finished her speech to a standing ovation and she silently left through a parted curtain. Mother Teresa was able to do this because she'd lived a life of influence. She'd accepted that role when she went to be a missionary to the poor. She resisted the lure of privilege, not seeking to get her own gain, but looking out for others. She consistently lived a life of integrity, serving the poor for more than five decades. She practiced generosity really daily, but highlighted, as I mentioned, by her giving away her Nobel Prize money. And there's no doubt that she looked to God for her reward as she demonstrated on the National Day of Prayer, speaking not what was politically correct, but what was pleasing to God. Mother Teresa was an example of a life of influence, and yes, there have been others like Nehemiah who have lived lives of influence. But you know, folks, the greatest life of influence was no doubt Jesus Christ. We can look to Nehemiah and see what a life of influence looks like. We can admire Mother Teresa for the life of influence that she lived, but it's truly Jesus Christ that we should model because only he is the one who is perfect. Let's look at a passage I referred to briefly last week, but it is such a great passage to highlight what Jesus did. It's found in Philippians 2, so let me read a few verses found there. It said, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Let's consider this passage and what we've looked at today. Did Jesus accept the position of influence? Yes. According to Philippians 2, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. In other words, Jesus says, yes, I'll do this. I will become a man to save mankind. Did Jesus avoid the lure of privilege? Yes. Even though he was a form of God, he didn't hold on to that. He became a servant. Did he consistently live a life of integrity? Yes. He became obedient even to death. He never looked and said, this is enough. I'm done. He never said, people don't appreciate me and what I've done. I'm not going to do this anymore. He continued. He was consistent even to the point of death. Did he practice generosity? Yes. And he wasn't generous just with material things. He was generous with his very life, giving his life as a sacrifice for us. And did he look to God for his reward? Absolutely. And because of that, God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. And even though many still curse the name of Jesus today, what is important is God has given him a name that is above every name. And it doesn't matter what people say. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Jesus is Lord. Now, here's the difference between Nehemiah, Mother Teresa, as compared to Jesus. Only Jesus is to be worshiped. You know, we can look at Nehemiah and Mother Teresa. We can find lives that we can look as examples of lives of influence. We can learn some things from them. And and I hope if we looked at Nehemiah today that you can learn from his example. God has his story recorded for that reason. But folks, only Jesus through the life he lived, the death he experienced, and ultimately his resurrection, only he can give us life. You see, as I, at some point to Nehemiah and Mother Teresa, what we need to know is both of them died. In fact, Jesus died upon the cross, but here's the only thing. Here's what Jesus did that neither one of them did. Jesus came back to life. It is only Jesus who came as God in flesh, who lived a sinless life, who then offered that life on a cruel cross as a payment for our sin, who rose again to conquer death and offer the hope of salvation. It is only at Jesus' name that someday every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And because of that, we can only live a true life of influence by first giving our lives to Jesus and letting him be Lord. When you truly surrender your life to Jesus, he can help you live a life of eternal influence. Let me tell you something else that's great about Jesus. See, if you're here today and you've already blown it, if you're here and say, because of what I've done in life, I've lost my influence. I cannot be influential anymore. Here's the good news about Jesus Christ. He can redeem your life. He can restore your life. And he can give you a life of influence moving forward. Amen. Isn't that good news? Some of us have blown it. And it's good to know that there's a second chance. Jesus offers that forgiveness. He offers us a fresh start and an opportunity to begin to live a life of influence now and for the rest of your life. Yes, Jesus lived a life of influence. Yes, Jesus is an example of influence. But really, Jesus is the one who offers you life. Now, as we come to our invitation, here's my hope. My hope today is that we have a room full of people or who've been listening to me, or who maybe those who've been watching online who will say this, I want to live a life of influence. If that's you, I pray today that you will accept the position of influence that God has you in, and you'll look for those opportunities to make a difference for God. I pray that you will avoid the lure of privilege, whatever that is for you, so that you can be focused on others. I pray that you live a consistent life of integrity. As I know, at every turn, there will be opportunities to compromise and lose your influence. 
I pray that you will be generous with what God has given you so that the needs of others are met. And I pray that you will seek a reward from God, knowing that, that God saying, well done, good and faithful servant, is more important than anyone on earth recognizing you or rewarding you. I also pray this morning that we would have a he- people who would say this, I have blown it and I need a new start. He'll come today and say, I want to turn to Jesus and I'm going to ask forgiveness of my sin. And today I'm going to ask him to take control of my life and I'm going to begin serving him so that I can live a life of influence going forward. See, today my question is, are you ready to live a life of influence? We're going to come to a time of invitation and here's what it's an invitation for you to do to make a commitment to live that life of influence. Maybe for some, it's coming and praying and saying, God, show me those around me who I can influence. Show me those who I can reach for you. He's got you in a place. You're a teacher. You're a coach. You're an owner. Wherever you're at, God has people around you that you can influence that you're going to say, God, show me how I can live a life of influence in front of these people who I'm around every day. And you just begin to pray, God, show me. Or maybe you're here today and you're living that life, but you're being tempted to to do something wrong. You understand that lure to do the wrong thing. Maybe you need to come and say, God, help me stay the course. Help me not to, to lose my influence. God, give me the strength to stand against the temptation and live for you. Or maybe again, you've just grown, grown weary. Maybe people have been saying bad things about you. Maybe they've turned their back on you. Why not come and say, God, give, give me the endurance to live this life consistently. Help me, Lord, not to give up because it's hard. I want to quit. Why don't you come and say, God, give me the strength to move forward. Or God, show me how I can be generous. Or maybe just even bow and say, Lord, thank you for being a God who rewards that I look to you today. Or again, above all, some of you are here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Let this be a time where you come and surrender to him. As we have the invitation, Brother Jacob's going to be here. I'm going to be over here. If you need to talk to somebody about how you can give your life to Jesus, how you can gain a new start today and to begin to live for him, you come. We're going to tell you how Jesus loves you, how he died for you, what he did for you, and how you can give your life to him and begin new today. Will you do that this morning? I want everyone here to live a life of influence. Take that challenge and let's live for God. Would you bow with me, Father, as we come to you in this moment? Lord, we just come to you again, just looking to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and ask, Father, for you to be with us during this time of invitation. God, my prayer would just be simply this, that, Lord, your spirit, let it move in this place, and, Father, speak to hearts this morning. And I pray as you speak that, God, some will respond. They'll simply open up their lives to you. Or maybe this morning, if they've been focused incorrectly, looking in the wrong direction, pursuing the wrong things, that today they would just come and say, I just really want to live for God. I want to be an influence for the Lord. And today they'll change their direction as they make a commitment to you. God, I don't know what all needs to happen in this place, but I'm sure there are some here this morning who have blown it and they need a fresh start. And so this morning I pray there'll be some who will come and they'll find a fresh start in you. So have your way in this moment, Father, I pray. Again, pour your spirit out, move in a mighty way. And Father, as we pray these things, we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.